Hey, Jen. It's season four. We're back. Four? No, it's three. It's three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I told you I have a lot of stuff going on in my brain. Time flies. Time flies. <laughs> no, we were actually talking about how we have to start planning for season four. That's what I happened. I think is why I did that. Yeah. Um, 100%. Also... I think because I just have had so much on my mind, I have this new little thing that I do when we're recording. And instead of ending the recording, I You hang up on us all. <laughs> yep. I know what you do because you've done it to me 15 times. <laughs> We've only been using Zoom for how long? And all of a sudden, I feel like I have to do this. Yeah. Accidentally like hanging up on us. That little red zoom, end zoom, whatever, end button just like jumps out at me and I'm like, bam. End, because you want to end the recording and then you press end, but you end the call but and you hang stopped. up on us. And I've done it before. We've released 51 episodes at this point mm -hmm. and um, I've only done it on the last like four or five that we've recorded. So like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. I did say 15. That was probably an exaggeration. Well, it's probably between 15 and 5. Who knows? We don't really keep track. <laughs> Somewhere keep in track? there. She just did it to me five minutes ago, guys. <laughs> yes. Um, you, in like this little break where we haven't been checking in with people. Had a major have, life transition. You have became a full-fledged dance mom, didn't you? Full-fledged dance mom. Shit is real. Yeah. I kind of want to go with you to one of these things because it was like how I spent my teenage years. I have entered a realm that I never really dreamed of. And I danced competitively as a kid, but I did Highland dance, which is a little bit different in terms of like the glitz and glam that goes on to like the tap and jazz stuff that my daughter does. Yes. So it's like toddlers in tiaras like we are like mm -hmm. eyeliner and false lashes on a nine-year-old it is it's real that is just I can't even imagine putting eyeliner on a nine-year-old it's it's great fun you know if you <laughs> want a challenge I am just telling you it is uh I'm hoping it's going to get easier because like we've done it so many times now, but so far, no, not so much. And then removing the eyeliner is a whole ordeal on a nine-year-old because like trying to get them to understand like how close you have to wipe to the lash line to actually remove the eyeliner. Yes. And anyways, I mean, you don't need to hear all of this. I but have some, I have some hacks dance for you here. that I'll tell you and we're not, um, recording but yeah you're like maybe we, maybe we should start following you with a mic and you can like we can make our whole own little like Toronto Dance Moms show or something <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'll don't just know. comment on all like the crazy dance moms I see yeah well it's interesting because yeah. I've noticed I think since you started doing this I've noticed how many um dance moms I follow on social media so I'm always like wondering if they're like at the same comp as you guys and like, oh, okay you know there are like, so this, many there are so many like like within like just like that you could go to yeah. for a day from Toronto I mean I guess they're at home but it seems like they're all happening on the same weekends is what's crazy about it 
Because, like, yeah. when I was competing, like, we, we rarely did, like, overnights. And if we did an overnight, it was because we were competing on, like, a, multiple days or whatever. But, like, I don't remember there being so many happening on the same weekend. And, like, this woman who I used to take, like, spin classes from, she's a dancer, but she's a trained dancer. And she judges competitions, too. So I think when Matilda had her first one, you were at a competition. She was judging a competition somewhere in the GTA. And then it, a couple other people were at other competitions. I was like, good God. How many competitions are running within the city on the same day? It's nuts. I went to one competition that was in, like, a convention center, and there were actually two dance competitions happening in the same convention center in the same city. It's a racket, I think. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, well, my so. boys, we don't dance. I dance, but we don't, like, the boys do not dance. But they are taking parkour lessons. Yes. You told me about this. I love it. <gasps> they had to jump off a house today. Um, I, <laughs> there's, like, a house structure inside this, like, like studio space and they, do you they, watch this i don't think i could look there's there was a um like a big <laughs> one of those big puffy mats under them logan got really nervous and i was taking oh, a video okay. and not to send like to share on social or anything but just to like send to family so they can see what yeah. he's doing and i was like really proud of him and he just looked at me he was frozen up on that roof and he's looking at me and shaking his head like don't no. record this so I put it away and he was definitely, he didn't look like he was going to do it. He looked really upset and he did it. I'm so proud of him. And I said to him, like, I twisted my ankle this morning at school drop off. And I was like, if my ankle wasn't messed up, I'd come up there with you. And then I was thinking, I was like, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do Actually, that. no, I'm chicken. <laughs> and I said to one of the other moms, I was like, I feel like we're teaching them how to break out of the house and sneak back in when they're teenagers. Mm. Life skills, life skills. For, especially for <laughs> Logan, the structure that covers our deck is right out his window. <laughs> so he could literally balance on it and yeah. drop down to the deck. I mean, it would be loud. I don't know that no. he has learned the art of um, like My house quiet. has a similar structure in that my youngest could theoretically climb out her window and she would be on top of the garage yeah and, and then easier and garage. then she would need to figure out how to get off the garage but I'm like oh I don't know if I'm gonna I'm gonna put like an alarm on her window well and she's like she the actually has an one. alarm on the window already because I'm crazy like that but she's, she's the wilder one who would do it she's the one who would try it yeah yeah, but like my other one, it would be like a straight drop down. Like there's, right. there's no way you'd go out that window. They're gonna have to switch bedrooms as teenagers. That's what they're gonna have to do. Just like, or they'll flip flop and 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 Ada will become really responsible and Tilly will just rebel because she's been such a goody goody. I've had that fear. I'm not gonna lie. Listen, moms. We got a lot of stuff going on in our minds. We do. Yeah. And this episode is with a woman who's a mom who has a lot of stuff going on. She lives in a multi-generational home. And mm -hmm. you've actually heard from her before. 
Yeah, this is the first time we have a return guest, which is amazing. So uh, we hope you loved Mandy the first time because you're going to love her even more now. Um, And if you haven't already listened to Mandy's previous episode where she talks about her um, struggle with bulimia, I do recommend that you go back and listen to that one. But um, yeah, we, Jen and I kind of had this idea to do may kind of centered around motherhood and it sort of makes sense I mean we are a podcast where we talk about the hard stuff and we have um only female guests and we have a primarily female audience so the topic of motherhood comes up frequently and the the challenges they're in and and we're moms too so um yeah that comes up a lot and so we're gonna start this month of May off with Mandy, um, who's going to talk about her relationship with her mother. Yep. And, and how it is to grow up in a multi-generational home and, mm-hmm. you know, and to be part says, of that kind of sandwich generation. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember if it made it into her episode back in October, but she definitely told us that night that she wanted to publish she had a children's book she wanted to publish it's called i know i am by mandy riley there'll be all kinds of info in the show notes of how you can purchase it and you can follow the the instagram account for it and everything and it's about body acceptance and it's for kids which is amazing you're gonna love this episode and you would love the episodes we have on our patreon which is patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You will love our merch at nowwhatpod.com. And I really hope that you guys are going to just like love the special theme month that we have planned for you. We're excited. We've recorded all of the episodes for that and they've all been really amazing. So I look, we look forward to releasing them. Hi, and welcome back to Now What? I'm Jen. (laughs) And I'm Tisha. Today, we're going to be joined by Mandy Riley, who, if you've been listening for a while, actually was on our show in season one, and we loved her so much. We invited her to come back and talk to us about another topic. Mandy is a mom she's married she lives in wisconsin she's also a very soon to be published author of a children's book on body positivity it's called i know i am and if you listen to the first season mandy's episode we called it mandy's story of bulimia and body acceptance but today she's here to talk to us about something else so welcome mandy hi so great to be with you ladies again I feel like you said, and I don't know if it made it into the episode, but you said something when we were recording about wanting to publish a children's book. So it feels- I did. It was towards the end and I think it was just like acting. So that was when I submitted the manuscript and now it's coming out. That's amazing. Very full circle. I love it. Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. We're, Um, we're very excited for you. I'm super excited, scared. It's just, it's a big ball of emotions. Of course. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So when we met with Mandy before and she was telling us about her story with bulimia and coming to accept her body, she actually talked quite a bit about her mother and being part of the 
sort of Sanders generation, you know, taking care of a parent and also parenting yourself, which, and we just thought, let's come back and do a whole other episode on that because, you know, a lot of people find themselves there or are going to find themselves there. Yes, definitely. If they haven't. So I don't know, do you want to like start us off by telling us maybe a little bit about like becoming a parent and a little bit about your mom? Yeah, sure thing. I am from a Mexican and Italian household and both of those families live together. Multiple generations live under the same roof. I lived with my grandparents my entire life. My mm-hmm. husband, who is from New Jersey, actually lived with his grandparents his entire life. And that's kind of how we bonded. At the time, my grandmother was being home hospiced after having a stroke, and they were taking care of his grandfather at home. He had lung cancer. So we kind of bonded over things that not people our age didn't understand. I was 19. He was 22. So mm-hmm. I was in school full-time. I was working a little over part-time and then I was coming home and I was working a Hoyer lift and a bedpan and I knew how to transfer her and I knew how to soften her food and and whatnot. So it was a very trying time and he was able to understand it better than most people. Mm -hmm. Um, We went from being friends online to he came and visited. The day he came to visit was actually the day of my grandma's funeral. So we often now, 16 years later, joke that our first date was a funeral. (laughs) It's a serious icebreaker. I I mean, he was off the plane for two hours and met my entire family. So I give him (laughs) so much credit for that. Yeah, he was in deep by then. (laughs) He was. He he definitely was. (laughs) A month later, his grandfather passed away and I went and visited and that's when I met his entire family. So I know nothing else. And I wanted our son to be raised in that same environment. And honestly, at first it was, we didn't leave because we couldn't afford to. We, I was 23 when I had our son. I was just getting started in my career. My husband was working at an airport and his airline was going under. So we needed all the help we could get. Yeah. And like so many young couples. Exactly. (laughs) We figured if we were going to wait to have a child until we were financially stable, it just would never happen. So we weren't not trying and we ended up having him right away. We were very blessed considering I have PCOS, but like I said, at first it was out of necessity for us. And then it became more of a symbiotic thing where my parents loved having their grandchild around. We had, they had enough bedrooms in the house. So it just, it made sense. Then as, as time went on, it became a, we were able to help out more financially. We were able to put more into the household. So it was more shared expenses, um, especially Mm -hmm. as my mom was getting sicker. So she had to stop working. She went on disability. And then my dad, he was injured on duty. He was a police officer So he went from desk duty to retirement fairly young. So then it became into a more, we were able to help them out financially. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to help them out medically. One thing I remember very specifically was in a span of two months. The first month, my mom was taken to the hospital by ambulance and I was riding with her. And the month after my dad had a stroke and I was riding in the ambulance with him. Oh, it was a vice versa because my dad couldn't ride with my mom because he, it would have, have exacerbated his stroke. 
So then I became that secondary person for both Mm -hmm. of them, which is, it's difficult, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. I don't know if we ever asked this when we chatted before. Are you an only child? No, I am not. I have a younger brother. He's two years younger. We actually live with him too, but he is on the autism spectrum. So a lot of like, when it comes to a lot of this stuff, it's almost like you are an only child. Yes. And in the best way possible, it's like, I almost have another child now, Mm -hmm. especially as we lost my mom and my dad started doing his estate planning. It came infinitely clear that when something does happen to my dad, my brother will become my responsibility. Right. Yes. That's a lot on your plate. It is. And I think I said this when I was talking to you guys last time, but I don't see it until I lay it all out like that. And then I realize that it is a lot. Well, because you haven't known anything else and you kind of grew up with your parents. And then as you got older, you doing that for like Mm -hmm. their parents, your grandparents. Yeah. I mean, it makes my skin crawl a little bit, but I think if it's all, you know, like, like I couldn't do it, but it's all, you know, and it's it's super polarizing. Like I have people who tell me that they would love to be able to do something like that. And then I have people who say (laughs) it makes their skin crawl. But when I, when I say we but every together, is different though, too. So it's not really a comment on yours. Like when I'm yeah, saying no, it, I don't totally. think anybody else is, mm-hmm. it's just like thinking about, like, I just, I couldn't in my situation do it. Bless we, when, when I say we live together, we're not in each other's hair all the time. Mm-hmm. We all have our own space. We all know when to leave each other alone. You know, the one nice thing is that we make sure we have dinner every night as a family. But there are are times that I could go two days without seeing my brother. I can go the whole day and go, oh, hey, dad, you're home. Like, Mm -hmm. it's it's more, it's nice that we're not in each other's hair. For sure. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that you're like, go ahead. No, I just was like thinking about, you know, you're a young woman in your 20s when a lot of your peers were probably partying. I mean, that's what I was doing a whole lot of in my twenties. Yeah. I like to tell people that I'm doing life backwards. Whereas in my twenties, a lot of it was the harder things. And now as I enter, I'll be 37 this year. As I'm entering this time, I want I want less, I want less drama. I want less responsibility. Whereas people my age are having children and buying houses. My child is 13. We're looking at high schools and eventually down the road, I want nothing to do with a house. I want to downsize mm-hmm. a lot because I've seen the good and the bad and the really ugly of owning a home. And I don't want any of that. So you reference like that your dad had a stroke your mom was suffering from COPD after the stroke was your father like mobile or like able to help out with your mom or what was that yes we were very lucky that my mom was actually able to catch my dad's stroke the paramedics came and they thought he was fine until my mom said to test him for a stroke. And that's when it was apparent that he was having an episode. So I remember. How did she know that? 
my grandmother had had a stroke. So she'd seen it before. Yep. So yeah. she had a stroke on the uh, operating table when she was having heart surgery, but then she also had another stroke at home. So my mom recognized the signs and what my grandmother had gone through with what my dad went through. They now, can be really subtle. Yes. But for him, it actually wasn't. Once they started doing the tests, it, it the, he had a droopy side of his face and he, one of the tests that they do is they have them raise their arms up mm-hmm. and he could not keep his, his one arm up at all. And okay. he didn't have any grip strength either. So once they did that, then they were, they were very quick in getting him into the emergency room. And I remember being in the ambulance with him and being in the emergency room and they asked me if they wanted uh, to give him the medicine to stop the stroke. I can't remember. It's like three initials. Yeah. But I remember saying it because they thought I was his wife. And (laughs) I'm like, no. So I remember having to call my mom and saying like, what do I do? You know, this isn't my, you know, I'm his daughter. I'm not the one to make those decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember talking to her and the doctor at the same time. And it's just, it's just surreal to think about. Yeah, I, that has to be so heavy and confusing. And if I remember correctly, his stroke happened a year after my uncle who had lived with us. He had a widowmaker in our kitchen. So it just, it was a lot happening all at once because we're still mourning my uncle who was in many ways like a father figure to me and now I'm going through this with my own father right Mm -hmm. and just even the the trauma of of him having an episode at home and then your dad having the stroke at home and and not to mention my grandma died in our kitchen (laughs) because that's that's the only place that in our house that we could fit all of her medical equipment. So we home hospiced her in our kitchen and that's where my uncle passed away. So yeah, that's another reason I can't wait to get out of the house. (laughs) Yeah. Did Um, you find it hard to go into the kitchen? Like, or no? You know, I should have thought it was weird, Mm -hmm. but it's just been the center of so many good memories too. Right. Like we had so many shared meals at that table, so many birthdays and whatnot, Thanksgiving that I try to ignore all of the bad Mm -hmm. and try to remember the good that we had there. But after my dad's stroke, he came home the next day. The doctors don't even quite understand how he came in the clear. But like I said, a month later, with my mom's COPD, she could get a cold and it would send her into the hospital. Minor cold could turn into pneumonia overnight. So we were no strangers to taking her in the ambulance. The firefighters and the paramedics started to recognize her and started to know what to do to help her through these episodes. And But again, it was me having to step into that situation to be the person to ride with her, to be the person to let them know mm-hmm. that it was okay to, to do treatment and whatnot. And as, as a daughter, it's, it's really difficult to be in that position because it's those times that you really realize that your parents aren't immortal. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see them as, well, you see them as, it's, it's weird enough to see them as like an, a human and, and not like whatever you see when you look at your parents. Especially like if your parents were your protector and nurturing yeah. and loving, mm-hmm. then you do kind of think like, wait and, a minute, they're supposed to protect me. I mean, <laughs> and, and for me, that's exactly what it was. My, my dad was a cop. He was, he worked in the district my high school was in. So he was showing all my pictures to his coworkers saying, you know, if you see her and she's not in school, you let me know, you know, he was <laughs> my number one protector. My mom and I were best friends. So yeah. for me to have this idea that one day I am going to have to live without them. That's just, it's immensely heavy to think about. Yes. Yeah. I think we don't, we don't, we tend to not think about death in general, I think as a society. No, like it's not even, even though it's happening to all of us Mm -hmm. and everybody we love, it's, it's a factor of life. So to experience, you know, to deaths in your home of people refresh did your uncle live with you guys or he just happened to be at your house okay I I thought so yeah yep at the at the highest there were seven people living in my house yeah I was I was fairly certain he was living Mm -hmm. there at that time too yeah you know family members who live in your home and you know like and getting that real quick crash course in like humanity Mm -hmm. And then not long after, it sounds like having, you know, these instances with your parents. Yes. And, you know, kind of bringing this full circle to, you know, what we're discussing, it's me dealing with my grief, but I'm also having to help my son through his grief. The first time I really dealt with a close family member's death was my grandfather when I was 16. Mm -hmm. My son was eight when my uncle passed away. And I remember that that day because I got a phone call from my mom saying I needed to come home. My husband got a phone call saying, you need to pick up Christian and keep him anywhere that's not the house. Mm -hmm. And so my husband took him to McDonald's to try to explain to him what was going on while I'm trying to help them figure out all the loose ends on, on their end. But then when I see my son, you know, how do I show him that I'm grieving? Do I, how do I walk through this? Because I, this, he died so suddenly that Mm -hmm. there was no time to plan. It was the complete opposite of my mom. Right. And how do I explain to people that it's his uncle, but that it's so much more than his uncle. Right. Because his uncle lives in his home. Yes. It's literally someone who's been with him since day one I think you know while most I don't know if most is accurate many kids will end up caring for adults in their like whether it's parents or aunts or uncles or somebody in their life as they age Mm -hmm. I don't it's not as common these days to have these multi-generational households Mm -hmm. so it's I think not only do we incorrectly assume what it means to grieve in general but then when you're talking about somebody who you perceive to be 
a secondary or tertiary person to somebody. So then it's even further removed from what that experience is actually like for someone. Yes. And it's just, now we've, we've finally gotten to a point where, you know, we can laugh about how he's in the corner in the cabinet because he was cremated, but it's, <laughs> it's just, it's weird to have to explain to teachers or to other people how to classify my son's grief, which I feel like I shouldn't have to do anyway. Right. I shouldn't have to put a caveat on it saying, you know, like, yes, he's grieving, but it's okay because they were really close. I shouldn't, sentence should end with he's grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, you know, I don't know the exact parameters, but I know like through my work, I can get so much, you know, a day or something off, but they define it. Like it has to be an immediate family member or whatever. And we have this really narrow definition of like what grief is and who's allowed to grieve and who you're allowed to grieve. Like it's, I don't know. I remember my best friend's mother died suddenly when I was 22. And this girl's my best friend. And my mom wanted the day off work to attend her mother's funeral. And they were like, well, it's not a relative. And my mom's like, she's my daughter's best friend. She's like another daughter. She's phoning our house and crying and saying, Sherry, like, will you be at the funeral? I need you there. She's like, what what do you mean? You're not going to give me the time off work. My mom took the time off work and came anyways, but like, yeah, they give you a hard time. Like, so you say, oh, well, his great uncle died. They're like, okay, oh, well, great uncle, whatever. He's fine. But, even like, for, but even he's not fine. Me. Yeah, even, even for, for you, it's work. your uncle. Yeah, I remember calling my, my boss after this all happened and explaining it to her. And I, you know, I said, I'm going to need a few days. And she said, well, I hope you, you realize that they're going to be unpaid because there is no, no policy for this. And I was like, okay, well, I will have to take it because- he wasn't just an uncle. Right. You know, they I shouldn't... And exactly. I shouldn't have to explain that, but it's also a, I was at the funeral home making the decisions because my mom, because those kind of situations would exacerbate her, her COPD and give her anxiety. So, you know, here I am. Need that out, extra stress. Yeah. Yeah. Picking out urns and working on an obituary and all of that, but it, I had to do it all unpaid because they didn't classify my grief as high enough. Well, what's crazy is should COPD have not have been a factor? Mm-hmm. This was her brother, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So what if she is the only person? And I have said many times, and I will say every time I did this much to plan Warren's funeral and memorial. My She's sister holding planned- up a big zero, guys. <laughs> my sister... <laughs> planned the funeral, the private funeral, and friends planned the memorial. That is not something that if you have the family members or close people to do, that those close people should be expected to do anyway. He was, he was unmarried, no children. So we were his family. were those people. And Mm -hmm. his sister, understandably would be that like person that you would assume, but it's also, in my opinion, the person you would assume wouldn't be able to handle it exactly which is why my aunt who 
they had a relationship, but they weren't as close because they didn't live together. And I really stepped up and made those decisions for her. But it's just, it's crazy how our society almost feels the need to rank. Yes. Grieving. Mm-hmm. And assume yeah. like who's more important than someone else. Exactly. Like in your life, your family is mm-hmm. obviously tip top. You live with yep. X number of your family members. But for someone else, that could be their friends. And that exactly. there wouldn't be any policy for that. No. Either. Yeah. And, and I ran into something similar when my best friend's father passed away. Luckily, you know, I had, I'm in a new job and the employer was very understanding, but it's, it's really difficult because you can't just say I'm going to a funeral. Like I, you feel like you have to explain who it is in great detail and why it's important that you be there. Super messed up. Cause like, who wants to just go to a funeral? Exactly. <laughs> is that really how you want to spend your day off? I don't know anybody who would choose to do that. Or there's so many jobs that require you to submit the obituary as proof that- yeah, Or like death certificate or something. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy to me because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's because there's been so many, like my grandmother died nine times to get out of something. But but also as an adult, I feel like we're not joking about that anymore to get out of a test. Yeah. We're not talking about kids in school. We're talking about like real life and, Mm -hmm. you know, adults or, you know, early adults into middle age and to a point where those become more factors in your life. Yes. You know, most people are honest. It's like, the people around you or the people you report to at work or, you know, the onlookers are the people determining what value someone has and, and, or what your grief should look like. It relates a lot to this idea of like what your grief should look like and that yeah. the timeline for it. And that there even has to be a policy about something when we all grieve in very unique ways and our physical response to grief everyone's mm-hmm. is very different yes Without a and then you know the other piece like on top of this you're also still dealing with your mom who is sick yeah yes and and a child yes. who needs to be like fed and dressed and lunches made and like mm-hmm. you know you got to keep them alive it's this yep. thing yep. <laughs> it it's really the sandwich generation is the perfect way to describe it because you are literally smack dab in the middle of having to take care of two completely different sets of needs and two completely different issues you know it's being able to fill an oxygen tank while you are making a peanut butter sandwich and you know making sure that everyone is happy or at least taken care of at the same time and it's exhausting juggling it all, but at the same time, I can't let either one of them down. That's just not, it, you know, obviously I yeah. can't let my child down and this person who gave me life I needs mean, me. Yeah. So, so immense responsibility. Yeah. It's an immense responsibility. It is. Yeah. So after your dad's stroke, give me a timeline because timeline is his stroke happened in 2016 okay 
and he he had retired from the police department, but he was working security at a local hospital. Okay. So the week before they had noticed him asleep at his job. Mm-hmm. But for someone who had been a police officer for 28 years and having a problem, we thought that was very strange. Yeah. But now right. we now we realize that that could have been a precursor to the stroke that the we stroke. hadn't noticed. Yep. So he did end up leaving that job after that and fully embracing retirement. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. having having him almost almost losing him added another layer of stress because you know it, would this happen again if this happened again while yeah. I was at work would mom be able to handle it yeah. and just just that always you know calling five times a day to make sure that everyone's okay or if they don't pick up the phone wondering why they're not picking up the phone that part's almost the worst not knowing how mm-hmm. they're doing because mm-hmm. you still are going to work during the day yeah, I'm, I'm still working full-time. My husband is still working full-time. In fact, up until the day that my mom went into the hospital for the last time, I, I left her that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but throughout the decade that she had COPD, it was the most heartbreaking thing was probably watching the decline. There's something to be said about the way my uncle passed away because it was so sudden and he didn't know, we didn't know, but then watching someone die so very slowly within a decade is, is heartbreaking. Seeing who they were, it, it, I actually saw a picture of my mom before she got sick the other day. Facebook is a fantastic reminder of the best and worst times of your life. Yeah. And I saw this picture of her and she just, she looks so happy and she looks so healthy. And, and that's when I picture her, that's what I picture. But as I see these pictures up until she passed, it, you see the decline. You see, she went from probably being 300 pounds to she was probably 85 when she passed away. So literally just watching her waste away. Mm-hmm. There's something uniquely heartbreaking to be a caretaker to a loved one and it, to have to watch that and the anticipatory grief that comes with that. So many times where she would be taken away by an ambulance and I wouldn't know if that would be the last time. There were the times where I, I remember one specific time that I had called for an ambulance and I went to tell her that they were coming and she told me to go away because she didn't want me to see her dying. Wow. Now she had, she didn't die then, but yeah. she thought she was. And I think the realization for her that she was dying made it harder for her to want to be around us yeah. because she didn't want to be a burden she didn't want us to have to take care of her. Mm-hmm. So she, she isolated herself more and more. And she didn't want to go places because she didn't want us to have to worry about making sure her oxygen tanks were filled, making sure that her scooter was charged. She didn't want us to have to worry about 
having to set up the scooter, having to get her walker out of the car. So she just didn't go places. And that's also heartbreaking because there were so many things that she missed out on. Right. Yeah, of course. But you can understand, like, I can understand that from her mm-hmm. point of view. Yeah, as a mother wanting to protect your kids. Yes, your up until. Mm-hmm. From that, right? Yes. Up until the very end, I mean, she was still trying to protect us. The last morning that I saw her before she went into the hospital for the last time. And if I work in finance, so the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is insane. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, I would have had to work a full week between Monday and Wednesday. So a full week before Thanksgiving even hit. And I was looking at working at least a 12 hour day that night. And she had been sick. I remember giving her her inhaler and giving her a kiss on the head. And she was kind of, she was short for breath. And I just remember feeling horrible that I, I had left her that morning. And then I got the phone call from my dad saying that she was being taken to the hospital. So I immediately dropped everything and I, I drove to the hospital and I found him and my brother. And we were able, they, they had brought us back to see her. And right when we were starting to surround her bed, she coded. So they tried to, like, they moved us and they tried to put the curtain around her. Mm -hmm. And I must have been at the right angle to see the people on top of her doing CPR. I saw the paddles and I just, that was the first time I really broke and it was definite to me that I would be losing her that Mm -hmm. this was the beginning of the end they they brought us all back and I remember looking at my brother and looking at my father and saying we can't let her continue living like this this isn't fair to her towards the end her quality of life was was non-existent she was sustained on enough yogurt to get her anti-anxiety medication down because the anxiety medication would help her breathing enough so that she wouldn't be in an almost constant panic attack. She was so frail and so thin uh, that even touching her the wrong way would leave a bruise. And she, she was she was just so thin that we were afraid that even a, a slight fall would be too bad for her. And I remember telling them and saying, like, we can't let her continue to live like this. This is not what she would want. And she's probably holding on for us. And it, it can't be like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we didn't know if she was alive. We didn't know if she was dead. After 10 minutes, they told us that they were able to revive her and they were going to take her up to the cardiac ICU because at that point they weren't sure if it was heart or lung related or a combination of both. And I just remember this like false hope in my dad's eyes that he thought she was going to make it and didn't have quite the nerve to like tell him yet but I was pretty tell him sure what your what your instinct was about it yes. right 
And that entire week I was working. And as soon as I would be done working, I'd be at the hospital. And the day before Thanksgiving, I had gotten out of work early. I remember visiting her and they used a Hoyer lift to set her up. And that's when I had the distinct memories of my grandmother and yeah and how how eerie it was towards the end and how my mom she was conscious but she wasn't coherent she had no real idea of what was going on and the nurse was saying you know why don't you wash her hair and brush it and put in a braid because she had she had very very long hair towards the end and I would always put it in a in a little like side braid for her. And I remember brushing her hair and it was just coming out in clumps. And that's when I knew that her body had given up on her. Yeah. The next day was Thanksgiving and it was also my dad's birthday. And my husband, myself and my dad went to visit her. And I told my husband, I said, when I'm over there by mom, please take a few pictures. She is not going to make it but I want to have these memories Hmm. and do not show them to me until I'm ready. He, he took a few pictures, but that's when I just realized that it was, she wasn't coming home. She wasn't going to get better because at that point they told us that she would have needed a tracheotomy in order to come home, a new pacemaker. And when they were trying to get her stable, they nicked a vein in her arm and her arm was going necrotic. So she would have needed an arm amputation as well. And all of this, my dad is thinking she's going to make it through. Everything's going to be okay. And as my husband and I were driving home, I said, we need to have a conversation with Christian. We need to ask him if he wants to say goodbye because I didn't have that opportunity with my grandfather because he passed away suddenly in the hospital and I want him to have no regrets. He made the choice to see her the day after Thanksgiving. I took him, he got to say goodbye and he, I mean, he did so much better than I thought he he would have had I thought I would have and he you know he told her that it was okay that to stop hurting and that he loved her and and whatnot the next morning I got a phone call and my dad got a phone call we got two very different phone calls his phone call said Mary has something to tell you my phone call said you're going to want to be there for your dad your mom is ready to die I had talked to the doctor the night before and, you know, I said, I know what's happening. We don't need to speak words about it. We need to convince my dad of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said that that would be best coming from my mom. So, I mean, my dad up until the very end was in the state of denial. So that's his wife. Yes, they had been How long were they married? 35 years at that point. Yeah. It's so 
when it, you have a life, when you've built a life with someone, when all of your hopes and dreams are with that person. And when he retired, you know, he retired to take care of her. And, and he always had that hope that they would be able to enjoy the life that he created, which is probably another reason why I'm in this, this state of my life where I want to enjoy living now because I got to, I I saw the opportunity or I saw the opposite. I saw them not being able to, to have, there's there's no guarantee. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But his denial, it, it had to fall on someone signing the hospice paperwork and preparing all of that stuff and that fell on me. And so I'm so very, very lucky that my husband was able to keep it down at home and to keep my son in school and, Mm -hmm. and to keep him going because I, when they started the morphine drip, it was Saturday and she didn't pass away until that following Wednesday. And pretty much all of my time was spent there. They literally had to trick me into getting into a car. They told me that they needed me to get something out of the car. And then I was pushed into the car and like <laughs> taken mm-hmm. home. Like you need to go and home and sleep. shower and sleep and yes, eat something maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I did not want to leave her side. Yeah. Um, and, and this was all like just pre-COVID, right? Like that. Yes, that this is just right pre-COVID. I mean, in some, like, thank God for that, right? Yes. And that is the only saving grace is that I think she had some kind of an inkling of what was going to happen because Mm -hmm. there is no possible way she would have survived COVID. Whether, no, not with COPD. And the stress that that, the additional stress that that would have put on all of you as a family. Yes. Because my try and keep that all out. Yeah. At that point, he worked at a hospital and he worked, he worked in the ER. So he was cleaning all of the COVID rooms. Things would have been so dramatically different. Yeah. And the stress on her and the inability to leave the house, granted, she didn't leave the house very often. But to have that completely taken away from her. Like no chance. Yeah. No chance. And it just, she would not have survived. And I think she knew because we were able to be with her. We were able to have that, the funeral. Mm-hmm. But again, right. for me, it was so much stress because as you were saying, like you didn't plan anything. Yeah. I was it the was one that you. planned. I again, you were, everything. you were again put in that position because your dad couldn't do it. And my brother. And your brother wasn't able to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm trying to grieve too, because I've just lost my best friend in in the world and I'm trying to plan her funeral and Mm -hmm. it's, and at the, at the same time, I'm still working, you know, you only get those four days or whatever (laughs) they give you. So So messed up. So did your mom have a conversation with your dad? Yes. She said, I can't do this anymore. I'm in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there for that conversation. I let them have theirs. The doctors were kind of prepping him for the conversation to be had so that she wouldn't have to do it all because she She had, yeah, she couldn't 
talk and I remember going to her and I remember saying to her, you've put up a good fight, but it, it's time now. And she's like, yeah, I don't want to hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her like, we made such a great team. She said, yeah, the best. We were the best team. And I said, I'm going to miss you. And she said that she'll always be there. Mm-hmm. And then I gave her a kiss on the forehead and I squeezed her hand three times like we always did for I love you. And then that was the last time that I saw her alive. Mm-hmm. And there's something so peaceful about the process of losing someone who has fought for so long because there was no tension in her body she didn't have to fight anymore and yet somehow she still hung on for as long as she did I think we thought that she was so tired that it was going to be immediate Mm -hmm. but she was so stubborn (laughs) they kept telling us you know they said you know we're going to move her we're going to um physically move her body onto a cot so that we can take her to hospice and that jostling may be enough to make her heart stop and I remember praying that it would so that it would she would she would just be done yes and unfortunately that jostling made her eyes pop open and I remember turning to my aunt and saying, I can't do this. You need to be in the elevator with her. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the one time that I was just like, I, I, I'm tired, guys. I, I can't do this. And I remember just sitting in the waiting room, just sobbing. And that was yeah, the one time I remember being able to break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because there was somebody else there that you could actually step away. Yeah. And you weren't like in your home somewhere where you had to be cognizant of your son seeing it and, and, you know, any of those other things. The sheer magnitude of everything just hit me. I'm holding the folder, letting them, you know, essentially, you know, stop helping my mom live. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sobbing. And but then I had to pick myself up, dust myself off, and then be there for her because that's what I promised her I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very lucky to have had you. A lot of people very say lucky. To have had, <laughs> you're very lucky to have had each other. Exactly. Yes. I was going to say I was the lucky one. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're a team, though, it takes both of you. In all things considered, we were a team because there was the two of us and five guys in the house. So we were all right. Grossly, you got to unite. We had to. (laughs) When you were talking before about how long her fight was, and you know, watching her go to the hospital, especially like in the later years, I have to imagine it's this really conflicting thing where you're scared that you won't see her alive again but then also it feels really crass to say hoping that you don't but because you don't want because you're tired and because she's tired and you know and and it's like I feel like it's 
potentially, and again, I don't know, but one of those like things that you're not supposed to say, but it would be so understandable to feel. The guilt is so real and still is like this heavy blanket over my chest. Like Mm -hmm. I remember I would leave to go to the bathroom during those four days and I remember like hoping to come back to her not breathing and then feeling guilty for having that thought yes and then feeling immensely guilty for that thought Mm -hmm. and it was just you know rinse and repeat for that four days or I remember I forced my dad to to come with me to come home and eat dinner almost hoping that not having anyone there would, would be enough feel, yeah. for her you know in, in case she was holding on because she didn't want one of us to be there right it was just this constant struggle of you know obviously you don't want someone to die but at the same time I do because at this point it, she's just a shell she's not living it, yeah she's not living and she's not dying. She's just existing. Right. And mm. that's not, that's, that's not, not life. No, that's not. And it's that's, painful for her and it's painful for those who love her. And yes. Um, and yeah. the, the thing about COPD is yes, it's a lung disease, but it also ends up affecting your brain because you're not getting that oxygen. Right. Right. So I would say a good year, year and a half before she passed she became more forgetful and there was one time she was in the hospital over Labor Day weekend and she needed to take a test in order to come home and I remember I had to lay with her because she kept like making herself anxious and she couldn't lay flat so I remember laying with her and I remember playing Andy Grammer who she loved and I remember that very vividly and then couple of months later she looked at me dead in the eye and said well you didn't come and visit me and it it gutted me that she Mm. didn't even remember I was there yeah and it it just it became increasingly more difficult to be around her because she didn't remember certain things Mm -hmm. and then I felt guilty for not wanting to be around her while she was still here Mm-hmm. but and then I remembered that wasn't her so there's so many different layers to being around someone who is so sick but the overwhelming one that I still feel is is guilt and I've worked through it in therapy something mm-hmm. fierce but I also remember going and seeing my therapist about a year before my mom passed and she said why are you here and I said my mother is dying I need your help to get through this Mm -hmm. I mean it doesn't make the guilt go away but the fact of the matter is it's something none of us have any control over exactly but I am a control freak and I want I mean yeah I want no it's not to it's not it's like not to minimize that feeling of guilt Mm because I think especially I think women and mothers specifically are hardwired for it Survivor's guilt is so, so real. And I never truly understood it until I lost my mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is. Especially when your kid will say, or has said, doesn't happen often, that daddy was more fun and he should be here. I've gotten, I wish Nene was here because she wouldn't be so mean to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. grandmas are always really like a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, he still sleeps on her side of the bed. We, oh. him, him and my dad have become roommates. We like to call them. Oh, that's sweet. And he sleeps on her side of the bed most nights still, which is good for both of them. Right. Yeah, totally. But then he says things like, you know, I don't remember. I'm starting to forget what she looked like or what she sounded like. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that I'm running out of pictures of her to like share. That is the hardest. Looking at pictures is like such a gift and so impossible at the same time. I just, she, we weren't a huge family picture thing or you know we just weren't into it until my husband came around and he loves his camera and so he's got all these random pictures of my mom until she started really getting sick and then she didn't want anything so we just right. don't have we don't have those memories so you know I know a lot of people say it on social social media like, be in the picture really do be in the picture like yeah. even if it's the crappiest picture or even if you're not the subject in the picture I found a couple of pictures of her that are the most breathtaking photos, but she's not even the subject in them. Mm-hmm. But right. eventually I'm going to run out of, of photos and I struggle to hear her voice. And that that's. I'm petrified of the videos I have with Warren's voice, like losing them or whatever. Cause when I don't, I mean, I don't know if you, you feel this way as a parent, but like, I'm, I can almost reconcile me not remembering that, Yep. but I don't want that for them. Yes. I feel that way. I had 34 years with her. Mm-hmm. He had, I don't even want to do the math, but he was like nine, 10, yeah. You know, and I want him to be able to realize how immensely loved he was by her. Yeah. And I want him to feel that all the time. Mm-hmm. So even now, you know, we bring her up all the time. Yeah. And a lot of because he's a teenager and he's finding his own and he's making decisions and he he came out to us in October as gay and one of the first questions he said was do you think Nene would would love me still and I said without a doubt so like he still wants her approval he still Mm -hmm. wants to know that she she would love him Mm -hmm. and we you know we we talk about her all the time because I want him to have that reminder that he had that one person who was always always there for him yeah well and I think it's important to be able to talk about those close loved ones who have died yeah in ways that aren't always sad it yes. doesn't have to be yeah. sad that's I mean, kind of leading my boys my boys freaking fart and I'm like you got that from your dad because geez you smell like a grown man yeah <laughs> <laughs> like one thing that we often joke about now is 
like if one of us says something stupid we joke that there's gonna be like an oxygen bag from heaven like just ready to like whap one of us upside the head because but she used to hit you with it <laughs> yeah well, no, she used to joke that she would yeah or she would say that she would yeah and maybe it would be nice if we like took a couple minutes to like honor her and and have you tell her us about her like how do you I feel about that love to okay yeah, absolutely she was probably one of the most creative people I've ever met. She dabbled in all of the crafts. She could sew, she could crochet, she made costumes. I remember one year she painstakingly used fabric paint to make me Catwoman. <laughs> and, and she made my brother into Mr. Monopoly. And those were some of her proudest moments because she was creating. And whenever she wasn't creating, she was just so loving. She literally loved everyone who, who came across her. Mm-hmm. She, her heart was always open. Her kitchen table was always open. She was mom to all of my friends. They never could call her Mary. And she loved all of her children the same. I think she loved a couple of them more than me. purple was her favorite color it was literally everything every picture I have she's wearing purple (laughs) (laughs) and she she was so sarcastic and she knew exactly when to drop a punchline she she often joked that if she wasn't full of stage fright that she would go on the road because she had this comedic act about my dad <laughs> she, like he was her favorite target and she meant that in the most loving way mm-hmm. and all of us could we would be better if we lived like her because she Aww. had absolutely no hatred in her body and when my son asked if she would love him still. There was not a doubt in my mind. Right. Yeah. She just radiated this this energy about her that was beautiful. And I remember I remember taking her blanket from her after she had passed and covering her in the the white hospital blanket just so that we could take her blanket to the funeral home and I had seen that energy I hadn't seen in a long time and it was just this beautiful aura about her and that's when I realized she was at peace Thank you for sharing. She sounds like a really wonderful person. Yeah. And thank you for sharing sharing her with us. Yeah. It seemed like, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about the importance of talking about people who have passed and, and remembering those good things and remembering who they were. And so often it's so hard to forget a time that she wasn't ill that it was so nice to just talk about her as a person. (laughs) I haven't done that in so long. I think people kind of, as time passes, because other people's grief isn't top of mind, because it's just not, part of it is we just don't have the capacity for it. And also we just don't realize how like lifelong grief really is unless we've experienced it. But I remember we had uh, a conversation 
with a guest whose partner had died like 16 years ago and that anniversary was coming up and and I made a point to message her on that day and you know just say I'm thinking of you and Diane today and and she wrote back saying how like impactful that was just because it doesn't really happen 16 years out for other people for other people to bring it up and and you know right I I wouldn't expect it to even in my own situation Mm -hmm. right but but giving kind of people the opportunity to know that their people matter because they did matter Mm -hmm. to them like she mattered so much to you and your family yes and so her story matters and and who she was matters yes and for me I, it's given purpose, so much more purpose to things that I have done or will do. When she was alive, I would do the stair climb in her area for her, for the American Lung Association. And just that stark change from like, in honor of, in memory of, was really difficult. Mm -hmm. And, but that year the local American Lung Association wanted me to do some media and to talk about her and to talk about the cause and they weren't sure if I would be ready to do it because it was only it was right before the the pandemic started so it was it was February and yeah yeah, and I I said no because I want to talk about her I don't want to stop talking about her right because then if I stop talking about her, then it feels like she ceases to exist at all. Mm-hmm. And who else is going to keep talking about her? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, you have it, to do it. It's, it's interesting. Like this turn conversation r- reminds me so much of, of the Mexican tradition of Dio de los Muertos and how the idea of you're a frienda and, and if somebody is not, if you're not on a frienda, you've been forgotten. Yes, yes. And that is a, a very big part of, of my heritage right. and what I believe. And that's part of the reason why I don't stop talking about people that I've loved who are gone, why I always have their pictures while, you know, for me, yes, Dio de los Muertos is very important, but for me, I want to live that every day daily. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because there are days or, or weeks that it doesn't fall on me. And then once it does, then I feel guilty that I haven't, you know, that I've been living and she's not. It, it's yeah. finding this balance between being able to move on, but to not forget the past, but not to live in it either. Well, to carry her with you wherever it is that you go yeah yeah there's there's also just this stark reminder that she's gone for instance when I got the cover of my book to when they showed it to me I went to call her like she her number is still in my phone and Mm -hmm. I went to call her and Mm -hmm. when it it you know it disconnected and that was just the stark reminder that I lost my first call because she was always my first call. Like, yes, I was married, but when something good happened, mom was my first call. When something bad happened, mom was my first call. call. And that was just the stark reminder of 
she's not going to be here for all of this. Like, I don't get to share this with her. Yeah. And she, I think we, it's in your other episode that you recorded with us. Like she was part of your journey. That's what I was just thinking. Right. So of course you would want her to, to share that with her, that you've written a children's book about body acceptance. I mean, yeah. And, you know, she was, like you said, she was part of this and, mm-hmm. and I came out the other end. I came out happy and healthy uh, despite all attempts. And to strong as fuck. Myself. You should own that too. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty badass. <laughs> but, you know, just to let her know, like, it's okay. I made it. You did a good job. Yeah. Yeah my own loss has made me question like what I believe happens after and like what the meaning of all of this is. But the one thing I I will always hold on to is that, that our loved ones are still with us in some capacity because like they wouldn't want to miss it. Exactly. And, and even though she's not here in person, like I, I feel her presence so much and I mean, my main character has a purple shirt for a reason. Oh, I love it. So amazing. I love it. And I actually showed the illustrator a picture of my parents and I said, please make them look like them. Because again, the oxygen bag would come out if she was looking like a hot mess in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's awesome. I am very much looking forward to reading your book. Yes. For everybody listening, yeah. you have to buy Mandy's book. Tell us the title again, Mandy. It's called I Know I Am. I Know I Am. And it will be coming out in a May 18th? May 17th. May okay. 18th is actually my birthday and I'm having a launch party that day. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your you so story with us, Mandy, yeah. for, for sharing your mom with us. Thank you for letting me share her. Of course. It felt good to talk about her and not be all sad. I think for so many, death in general is so taboo and we don't Mm -hmm. like to talk about it at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable when people are talking about a dead loved one and it's not sad. Right. Right. But that's not what you want to remember somebody as. No. And in the Italian, in the Mexican culture, we don't shy away from it. We lean into it because again like you said with Dia de los Muertos they have a whole holiday around celebrating the dead yes is amazing (laughs) yeah we honor them you continue to lift them up which is Mm -hmm. how I that's how I was raised so that's what I do yeah it's beautiful thank you so much Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.